All right, so we are almost finished with our sermon series uh, through the book of Luke, and today we're going to... Um, we're going to see, we're going to look at a portion of scripture that's really famous to Luke. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. Um, we're going to be reading through verses 13 through 35. And this is a well-worn portion of scripture. It talks about this, this little portion called the road to Emmaus. And normally what we do is we, we reserve this portion of scripture for, you know, Easter time in a couple of Three or four months from now, well, more than that, you know, you, you go, okay, this is only something you, you only ever read during Easter. And then you sing all the Easter songs about Jesus being, you know, risen again from the grave and all of those things. But here's the beautiful truth about our faith. Our faith is not this once a year moment where we celebrate the, what everything hinges on, the fact that Jesus rose again from the grave. It's something to be remembered and to be celebrated, and to be lived every single day of our faith, right? If there was no resurrection, we should all just go home. Paul tells us that if there is no resurrection, we're to be the most pitied people among everybody on the face of the earth, because everything we're doing is just based on this, like, lie. But we know that that's not true. We know that Jesus has risen from the grave. We know that that truth of the resurrected Christ gives us hope for not just one day of the, of the year, but it gives us hope for every day of the year, whether times are good or bad. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a portion of scripture. Uh, it's, it's after the resurrection of Christ, and we see now that Jesus has become victorious over sin and death, and he's starting to reveal himself back to his disciples. He's starting to show them what it means, the implications of him being risen from the grave, all right? So here's what I want to do. I want to I tell you a, a little bit of an illustration that Marianne and I, Marianne's not here this morning, she's serving in our kids, um, but she, you know, her and I will often go on walks. We always invite our kids, but they're just like, eh, we don't want to go on a walk. It's too hot, you know. We'd rather be on our TikToks or something. I don't know, whatever kids do. I'm sounding really old right now, right? Okay. So Marianne and I will go on walks probably three or four times a week, and this is our time. We, we go about a, a six-mile walk every time, and we'll walk. It takes us about an hour, and during our walks, most of the time, what we do is we, we talk and we pray. We talk and we pray, and we decompress, right? We, we do uh, inventory on our relationship. We'll, we'll ask each other how we're doing and how we're feeling and what's, what's our hopes and fears. You know, we get really deep, and sometimes it's just surface level. We just, you know, whatever. We're just sweating out there. Uh, but most of the time, we're talking, and you can hear in our conversation, where if it's a hopeful conversation, it's usually dependent on the fact of how we see Jesus. Because, you know, we're talking and we're praying. And if it's hopeful, it's because our hope is in Christ. Our hope is, you know, like we're full of courage. We're full of faith for the week because Jesus is on the throne and Jesus is unchanging. And, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so as we're praying, whether it's for you or for our children or for our finances or for your finances or whatever it is, we're like, yes, God, do it, right? We're like so excited because our, our prayers are matching this truth about the greatness of God. But then if you were to eavesdrop, if you were to be a little, you know, fly that were to land on my shoulder as we're walking, 
um, and you were to hear a conversation turn from hope to fear or despair, you would pick up on this sense of probably we're not understanding the full weight and truth of who Jesus is. And so sometimes we'll, we'll just open it up and I'll say, babe, how are you feeling this week? You know, and she'll say, man, I'm really feeling, uh, often for, for my wife, she feels this heaviness and this weight for our children. And she'll, she'll say, like, I'm, I'm just worried about, you know, maybe Judah, who's, who's, we're not sure what to do, homeschool or regular, you know, public school or this or this and that. And, and he's our probably most, like, introverted, timid little guy. And so we're like, Lord, you know, be with him. Give him peace. And so she'll feel this trepidation for our little guy, right? And then for me, often she'll be like, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, the church, you know, and so we have this issue going on right now and this, and I feel totally unprepared, and there's this situation, and I'm, I'm tossing and turning, and, and, and if you were to hear our conversations about our fears, about the things that give us angst, you wouldn't be wrong to be able to put together where we're lacking and understanding the truth of who Jesus is. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? You, you would be able to admonish us so to speak you'd be able to like listen into our conversation and if you were being a true brother or a true sister in Christ you would say Kelly Marianne let me speak some truth in love to you see what you're not doing here you're afraid about this situation because you're not seeing that God is in total control over this see what you're doing is you're you're trying to like think that you have to make this happen out of your own strength and of your own power you ever feel that way sometimes in life and so as we walk along in God's kindness, he always brings us back to the truth. As we begin to pray, sometimes we'll just pray through a psalm. And what the psalm does is we'll just take it verse by verse. And, and, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so we pray that. And so we go, okay, Lord, we're feeling uh, anxious and, you know, overwhelmed about one of, the, one of our kids or something in the church or maybe something about our finances or something that's going haywire in the world. We're all feeling that right now. Lord, we're feeling angst. Lord, we just say right now, Lord, that you are our shepherd. And in you, we will have nothing that we want for. We have no lack in you. And as we begin to declare that, something in our heart shifts, right? Something in our perspective starts to change. Something in our wrong thinking, as we align it with Scripture, and as we align it with the truth of who Jesus is, begins to shift. And then our prayers start to change from, oh gosh, we're all going to die, right? Into, Lord, thank you, God, that you are strong and you're mighty and you're powerful and that nothing can, can, can change you or sway you or twist your arm. You're strong, you stand steadfast, and nothing will come in your way. And it begins to build our faith. Well, what we're going to see this morning is something similar to what Marianne and I do every week, and we're going to see a couple, I think it's a, a, a husband and wife. The Bible's not clear. It does identify one of the people, and a lot of theologians would say it probably might be Jesus's uncle, which is Joseph's brother, and his wife. Now, we can't prove that, but if we, you know, if we can allow ourselves a little bit of creative, creative license this morning, I, I think it helps us understand the story of a husband and wife who are walking back to where they know, and they're, they are confronted with this reality of who is Jesus? 
who was this Jesus? And they're having this conversation, and here's where we're going to pick up in the story. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 24. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen, I'm assuming, this morning. And Luke chapter 24, starting verse 13, we're reading from the ESV English Standard Version, and this is what the Word of the Lord says. Now, hang in there with us. We're going to read a good chunky portion, all right? So let's get through this together. Starting verse 13, it says, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Look at this, verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Isn't that interesting? Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, probably Jesus' uncle, and it's amazing he doesn't recognize, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet. Everyone say a prophet. All right, that was about one-third of y'all. Okay, we could do better next time. Concerning... Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that uh, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Verse twenty-four. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All right, so let's just do a little catch-up here before we keep reading. Cleopas and whoever the companion, possibly his wife, Jesus maybe, Jesus' uncle and auntie, they're walking along. The Messiah who they've put their hope in, they've hoped that their nephew was the Messiah. They've seen great things. They're, all, they're telling him. They've, they've seen these amazing things that have happened. And as they're walking back, Jesus, for some reason, I don't know why, but he kind of hides himself from them. And it says that they did not recognize him. Their own nephew. Why? I don't know. I think we're going we're gonna to learn from that here in a moment how that relates to us. But they don't, and so they start un, unpackaging to what Jesus is trying to draw something out of them and ask them these questions. And they're like, don't you know about this, stuff? this amazing man? And now he's dead and we've heard these things. And it's a mixed bag of what's happening, right? I, I, I think this, but maybe this. And this people said this. And then somebody was there and said this. And we heard all these things, but I don't know. This is all that we know. So let's pick up in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it 
It's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So it's getting late. You're going to need someone to stay. Stay with us. Man, this conversation's amazing. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. He had communion with them. Verse 31, and here it is. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then, just like Gandalf, he vanished from their sight. Verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn with us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, the other apostles and disciples, and those who were with them gathered together. Notice there's only eleven. What happened to Judas? He's hung himself, right? So there's only eleven of these guys left. They said in verse 34, the Lord has risen indeed. Everyone say that. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, who is Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. All right. That was a long portion of Scripture. Well done, guys. You guys hanging in there. All right. So let's get into it this morning. If, like Cleopas and whoever the companion was, and Marianne and myself, and maybe you as well. Maybe you don't go on walks with your significant other. Maybe you do other things. Maybe you have conversations with people. Maybe you have situations in your life where you find yourself at moments of high hope and encouragement because all, you, it's like God's grace has bestowed a gift of faith for you in that moment to see him for who he truly is, and you feel like, man, there's no, no one who can stand against me because why? Because God is for me. And you have these moments where you're just like, Lord, I know that whatever you say, you'll do. I know it. All you got to do is say it like the centurion who had faith in Jesus. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And you're like, yes, God. But then on the other side of that, we're all human and we doubt and we have a mixed bag of our faith and our, and our walk and our relationship with Christ where we have moments where circumstances cry out to us and say, your God is not bigger than what is going on in your life. Your, your bank account is shouting out to you, where is your God? Your relationships are shouting out to you, God doesn't exist. If he did, you would have wholeness in your relationships. With your children, you have broken relationships with your children. Where is your God? And what we tend to do is... We like oh we wobble all over the place. And I think, friends, what we need to do is take a beat here, look at this portion of scripture, and like these two on the road of Emmaus, we need to throw out what the world would say about who Jesus is, what our circumstances would say about who Jesus is, what our um, even our experiences. It's hard to do, right? It's hard to be disciplined and say, if God is in control and if God is good, then why is this happening? I will still overlook those circumstances or my own experiences from what I've known in my life and to still be disciplined and apply the truth of who Jesus is no matter what's happening in my life. It's hard to do that. I get it. But as your pastor this morning, my encouragement to you is to do it is to do it. That is our job as Christians. That is our, one of the things that we are called to do as we walk in this, this Christian, Christian faith called discipleship is that we are called to remind ourselves 
And we are called to remind one another of the truth of who God is because it matters. Because it matters, and it matters because we are meant to live a life that is based on the resurrected Christ, okay? So here's what we're going to do. You guys ready? You guys ready to do this? Ready to like kind of double click on Luke chapter 24, 13 through 35? Yes, of course you are. You're ready to do it. Let's do it, all right? We're going to try to be quick. We got 18 minutes left. We can do this. All right. Number one, I want us to see that Jesus is more than a choice. Jesus is more than a choice. And the reason I want us to see this is because we all need to have a right understanding of what salvation is. I've seen bumper stickers. You may have seen these bumper stickers that say, try Jesus. You ever seen that? I think it was popular in the 80s and 90s. That's not as popular anymore. You know, if you're an old school Christian, you might have seen these bumper stickers. Say, try Jesus. I want to tell you, that is the most absurd bumper sticker on the planet. Why? You do not try Jesus. You do not give Jesus a chance. You do not come to Jesus and say, well, Jesus, you know, I've tried drugs, I've tried sex, I've tried rock and roll, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I've tried all of the things of this world, and now I'm going to give you a chance. And Jesus all of a sudden goes, Really? Oh, I'm so excited you finally are going to try me. Well, I hope I don't disappoint. That's not the way Christianity works. See, the, world, the, the Bible says, this is what Scripture tells us, and you'll see it through the whole book of Romans, nobody chooses Jesus. Nobody. Not one of us. There is not a person here this morning who has been rescued from your sin who has tried Jesus. See, the reason you are rescued from your sin is because Jesus came to you in spite of you giving him a big middle finger. Sorry. In spite of you saying, I don't want you, Jesus. I want my own life. I think this is the way I should live my life. And Jesus came to you in spite of you standing against him, stiff-arming him. He came and he rescued you. We think somehow that we are like 80% good, and then if we try Jesus, he'll come and he'll add the 20% that we're lacking. That is not what Scripture tells us. The Bible tells us that we are 100% evil, lacking any righteousness in our own self, and the only value that we have is that we've been created in the image of God, and so therefore that's why we shall not murder, we shall not eat each other, etc., etc. But the reason that we're saved is because Jesus comes to us. And here we see in the scripture, it's interesting. It says in verse 16, 15 and 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They were kept from recognizing him as if somehow Jesus is the author of salvation. As if somehow salvation belongs to God and God alone. I know that this 
is this like confronts our ideas of grandeur about ourselves. But friends, if we don't first and foremost understand that we are wretched wretches, have nothing to give God unless he comes and he changes us from the inside out, we will have a hard time in our faith because sometimes we'll do good and sometimes we'll do bad and we'll base our standing on, on our relationship with God how good or bad we do. And it's not based on that. It's based on the righteousness that's been given to us, that's been paid to us, for us on the cross of Christ. And we see here Jesus doesn't reveal himself. And then all of a sudden, he breaks bread with them. He does something that represents what had just happened three days prior about this breaking of bread and drinking of juice that shows that his body was broken, his body was bruised, his body was put to death, his blood was spilled out, and in this moment of breaking bread, drinking juice, their eyes were what? Opened. And Jesus reveals the truth of who he is, and then he's, where'd he go? I don't know. And if we somehow think we have earned our salvation, that we were the ones that stepped up to the plate, and Jesus rewarded our faith because he was like, good boy, good girl, now I'm going to give you what you deserve. We don't want what we deserve. We deserve torment and punishment and, pun and hell. But God in his grace and his mercy, when our eyes could not seek him, he broke the bread, he stood on the cross, he took the punishment, he poured out his blood for you and me, and he then opened our eyes. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it should, guys, here, here's the application. There's two things in here. One is, I already got ahead of myself, but we can't see ourselves as 80% good, 20% bad, and God fills in the rest. No, we say, just like, is it John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace? Is that the, the author? Newton, the slave, he's freed the slaves, abolitionist. He, he says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. He doesn't say, I only had 50% of my seeing. I only had... 50% of lostness, I was like half the time wandering around, half the time. No, I was lost, I was blind, I've been found, now I see because of what Jesus did. That's the end of the story. And, and in turn, this should give us one gratitude. Gratitude that we did not deserve the grace of God. And two, it should give us confidence. If you're walking through life as a Christian feeling like, does God love me? I had a bad week. Does God look, look with a big giant frown upon me? Or how can I like knock on the door? We, my wife and I will knock, we'll lock our door. We don't let our kids in our room because things happen in our room, right? Am I making this awkward for you? We lock our door. And then sometimes we get a little knock and it's usually Judah. And he goes, good morning, Right? But we lock it, and is, does Judah ever come into our room thinking, is my dad or mom going to be grumpy? No, he just walks in going, I'm sure they're super excited to me, no matter what's going on in that room, to see me. And we are, we're always super excited to see him, most of the time. Jesus is always, God's always excited to see you when you knock on the door. The Bible says that we boldly approach the throne of God because of the blood of Christ. And so we have confidence now that Jesus chose us in spite of us. 
in spite of you being 100% bad, he picked you up and he made you 100% good. All right, we're, we're totally running out of time. Jesus is more than a choice, guys. You don't try Jesus. Let me, let me just, let me nail this in your head. Christianity is not something you do. It's not something you do. It is something that has been done to you. You don't say, I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian because I read my Bible. I'm a Christian because I give 10%. I'm a Christian because I do all the nice things that people who are bad people don't do. That's not what makes you a Christian. Being a Christian is somebody from the outside coming in, changing your life, and rearranging it so you had a bad heart, now you have a good heart. You had nothing to do. Would you go to a surgeon and say, thank you, doctor, for fixing my broken valve, thank you, but you know, I tried, I thought really hard about it when you were doing the surgery, and um, I think I, I am like 50% of did your work. No, you went to the doctor because you were jacked up, and he had to cut you open and say, this is what's wrong, I'm going to take that out, I'm going to give you a pig valve, that happens. I'm going to put a pig valve in your heart, and it's going to work, and I'm the one who did it. That's why you're going to pay me $20,000. All right. How you guys doing? Welcome back from vacation. Number two, Jesus is not just, he's more than a choice, but he's more than a prophet. Look at how they use their wording here in verses 19 through 20, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man, a man who was what? A prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers, they, they crucified him. And so gee, we're having this discussion, me and Marianne, we're going along and we're talking about what, what's going on in life. And all these things are starting to come up. And if Jesus is just a prophet, then all Marianne and I can do is go, well, I remember what Jesus said and what he declared and so let's just, babe, let's hold on to the things that we know that have been said in the past. And let's do our best to, like, spiritually manifest that. That'd be, that's weird. It's myst mystical. That's not what our faith is based on. And so these two, I mean, many, 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 and most religions out there would say Jesus was a prophet. They would say Jesus was a really good dude. There are even some Christians that would say Jesus was the best of us. Jesus was the best of us. What a bunch of baloney oil. Jesus wasn't the best of us. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. Jesus is God. Fully God. Fully. The, the book of Colossians talks about how he has created all things. Cre with a word, he speaks and things come about. Marianne and I were having this discussion on our way to Tahoe. I go, you old earth or new earth? And if you don't know what that means, it means Christians believe that God created the universe by speaking. And all of a sudden, when he spoke, there were fish. And when he spoke, there was light. And when there was darkness, and there was soil, and there were rocks, and there were waters, and there were mountains, and there were volcanoes, and there were trees, and there were vegetation, and there were ants, and there were mosquitoes, and there was roaches, and ugh, all of those things, right? And God speaks it and it happens, and we're having this conversation. Did it happen all in an instant, or did it happen over millions of years? And I just said, well, I don't know, but I kind of lean this way. And she goes, yeah, okay, that makes sense. 
And I don't remember why I'm telling the story right now. Um, what? Jesus holds all things together. This is where I was going. And it says in the book of Genesis... Let us make man in. And Jesus is part of that us, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is there, part of creation, speaking. In an instant, things appear. And if we're saying Jesus was the best of us, he was a prophet. He was probably a little bit higher than most of us here because he seems somehow closer to God. And like Cleopas and whoever he's walking with asked, Jesus asked, who was he? He was a prophet. If we here this morning revert Jesus into being some just kind of the best of us, God forbid, God forbid that kind of understanding come into our faith that Jesus was the best of us. No, see, Jesus is fully God. If Jesus is fully God, he's not just a prophet who declares the things of God. He is fully God, the one who is able to fulfill what the prophets have prophesied. We sing about it this morning, to fulfill the law and prophets, to fulfill all that has been said about what salvation takes and what it, what it needs. In order for us to receive it, it was Jesus. It will always be Jesus. There will be no other answer other than Jesus. Jesus is more than a prophet, friends. <sighs> Amen. Five minutes left. God, help us this morning. Number three. All right, let me, let me calm down. I feel like I'm yelling at everybody this morning. I'm not mad. I am not mad. I'm happy happy. I'm excited. I, I, listen, as your pastor, man, I want you to know these things. There's so much junk in the church that is teaching us otherwise. It's diminishing Jesus. Oh, you got to pray to all these other things, or you got to do all these extra, you know, peripheral things in order to get, no, 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 no. The only gospel the only gospel that will ever be preached here and the only gospel that the Bible preaches is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is fully God, fully man. Okay, we're going to keep going on. Number three. Not only is Jesus not a choice, more than a choice, he's more than a prophet. Jesus is more than we hope for. Verse 21. This keeps revealing more and more of who they understood. Verse 21. But we had hoped, they said, that he was the one to redeem Israel. We hoped. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. We heard even some, like, rumors. There was something about something, like he was going to raise, be raised again. We're not sure, but, you know, Mary and Mary Magdalene and, Mary, and the other ladies, they were there, and they, they said they saw an angel. I don't know. But we really put our hope in the fact that he was going to be the, the Messiah and if we understand the context here, we have to know that the Messiah for these two people was something different than what you and I understand the Messiah is to be. See, they understand a Messiah as, I mean, aren't you longing right now for a strong authority to lead our people out of Afghanistan? You're longing for someone to save and to rescue and to protect our people. And not just our people. You're longing and you're wanting someone who will stand up for the rights of people who are finding injustice all over the earth and, and bombings. And you're saying, no, we need a protector. 
We need someone who's strong. We want someone who will stand strong, right? And that angst you feel in your heart is because there's this vacuous hole that wants to see justice rise up. And so for them, they were saying, we thought, we hoped, we were like, maybe he was the Messiah. Maybe he was the one who was going to rescue us from our history that has been prophesied for many, many millennia who have said that the, the Babylonians will come and then the, the, the Medo-Persians will come and the Greeks are going to come and now we're seeing this fulfillment where the Romans are here now and we've been under oppression as a people. We want someone who's strong, who will fight for us, who will rescue us. And we had hoped that this was the political Messiah, the one to set us free. What do you hope for? What do you hope for this morning? Are you hoping maybe that your bank account your relationships, your moral actions, your, I don't know, whatever it is, what are you putting your hope for in? And see, they kind of put their hope in stuff that was good, but not in the object of hope. Friends, Jesus is more than just a Messiah who is going to set you free from hard times. He's not, he's not that. He's a Messiah who is going to set you free and has set you free from sin and death, our two worst enemies. Sin, where we do the things that we know we're not supposed to do and that wrestle within, within us, and death that we all fear that hopefully it comes in, a, in a way that is tolerable. We all know it's coming, but we don't like to think about it. And if we think that Jesus is just going to fulfill our hopes and dreams here in this life, we don't understand the Christian faith that Jesus is more than we hope for. He's the one that holds sin and death squashes them, and we're able to say with absolute confidence, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? You've conquered over both of these things. I can now live confident in this life that Jesus, you're more than just my finite hopes, my little shallow hopes, that my bank account, that my health, that my relationships, all the peripheral things that are good, I have an eternal hope. I have a living hope. I have a hope that can't be taken away from me. Why? Because when I was 100% bad, Jesus came, and when my eyes were blocked, he broke the bread, and he poured the juice out, his body and his blood, and he made a way for my eyes to be opened. It gives me confidence. Jesus, and if, if Jesus is more than we hope for, if he's more than like our shallow little longings for in this life, then that deserves, I think, an allegiance to Jesus. I think that deserves our whole lives. That's called worship. It deserves us saying, Jesus, whatever, whenever, whoever, why ever, however, all the W's ever, I will do it whenever you say. You tell me to jump, I'll be halfway in the air, and hopefully you said, go this high, and I try to get higher. Because you are, oh, you are due all worth, all, you're so worthy to be worshipped. Amen? All right, last one. Jesus is more, this is probably not grammatically correct, but here we are anyway. Jesus is more than not in the grave. 
Jesus is more than not in the grave. Verse 31 through 35, we'll read it again. And their eyes were open. They recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with him gathered together, saying, here it is, the Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. See, they say here that the Lord is risen indeed. If you go back, what you'll see is on the third day, some of the women go to the tomb. What do they find? Empty. It's empty. And an angel appears and says, why are you crying here? And they think, whoa, what the heck's going on? Are you a gardener? I'm not a gardener. Why are you looking for the alive here among the dead people? He's not dead, but he's risen. And the ladies get excited. They've had this epiphany, literally. And in Revelation, Jesus is alive. The grave is empty. They go back to the disciples. And what did the disciples say? I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know about that. That doesn't sound right. That, well, only Peter and John, they run and they go and they say, what do they find? The grave's empty. And then Bible says they were perplexed. Holy cow. I mean, I I know we love to make fun of the disciples, don't we? Because we're like stupid disciples. How often did Jesus say he's going to die and be risen again on the third day? We know it over and over. But somehow they didn't get it. And I think in some God's, God's wisdom, he withheld that from them. He would, he would say it over and over, and they're like, no, God, never be, never let that happen. You're never going to die, but I'm going to rise again. And then here we see that they have physical understanding, representation of an empty grave, but it doesn't move from empty grave to risen Christ. What it is, is an empty grave with wondering, an empty grave with confusion, an empty grave with, well, what am I supposed to do now? And I think that a lot of us, as call ourselves Christians, live with just an empty grave faith. But not an understanding that that empty grave means that he's been risen. And what does an empty grave faith produce? Moralism? If you're standing at the empty grave, well, man, we're, we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. We're Christians. And Christians are supposed to be good people. And if we don't have a risen Savior, we have to base it on something. And we know that his body is not in the grave anymore. So that means he's not there. At least his dead body's not there. So maybe I need to do moral good works in order to live out what my doubts kind of override my faith. And when my doubts come, I'll override them with good works. That's called religion. We are not meant to worship at an empty grave anymore. We are meant to worship with our eyes lifted up because where is Christ? He is ascended in heaven. And as Carrie came up this morning and reminded us about the scars that we bear, but also even more importantly, the scars that Jesus bears, the scars that he still has to 
as we are sitting, standing, speaking, listening, breathing, doing all of our faculties right here in this very exact moment, Jesus is bearing the scars of what he went through for you and for me, and he is no longer just not in the grave. He is standing victorious over sin and the grave. Stop living a moral life. Oh, that sounds bad. I'm not saying be bad. I'm saying stop trying to be religious. Stop trying to earn your salvation. Stop trying to do this and do not do that and do this and not do that so that somehow maybe the big guy in the sky will look down on you and smile and wink. Stand in the resurrected Christ. Indeed, he is risen. He broke the bread. Boom, our eyes are open. This is Jesus. He's not just in, not in the grave. He's been risen again, and he bears the scars to prove it. Remember Thomas? Well, I'm not going to believe unless I see him, unless I'm able to put my fingers in his side and in his hands. And Jesus so graciously says, okay, Thomas, I get it. Go ahead. Thomas was like, whoa. He's not just not in the grave. And he probably looked around at all the other disciples and they're like, yeah, you know, like we've been getting, he's like, no, 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 but like I stuck my, he's like, they're like, yeah, like see Thomas, I want to say to you guys this morning, yeah, like if you haven't had a moment where you're like, <gasps> do it, stop living your, your Christian faith as if somehow it's all dependent on your ability to do it and not do it. It's not, it's dependent on what Jesus has already done for you. It's been done. This should cause us to do three things. Stop moralizing our lives. Stop being a slave to sin. You know what? You don't have to be a slave to sin. That thing that you wrestle with, that thing that you keep going back to, that your, your flesh finds pleasure in in that moment, then you feel terrible about yourself later. Like, I can't believe I did it again. Did you know that if you were a Christian, you don't have to do that anymore? You don't. Every time that you're tempted, what you could do is give your temptation to Christ, and if you fully submit yourself, the power of the Holy Spirit will come, and it will help you, help you overcome the sin. Every time we sin, it's because we choose to sin. But if you're a Christian, you don't have to choose to sin anymore. Do we sin? Yes, we do. Dang it. But we don't have to. Okay. And we can also stop living a joyless life hopeless life. Man, Christianity is hard. It is tough. But there's joy and there's hope. If you don't have meaning, if you don't have hope, no matter your circumstances, it's because you don't understand that Jesus has been risen from the grave. Because that is the ultimate hope. That is the ultimate joy, no matter what circumstances come. And you're like a duck in water that has oil all over your feathers. You get doused and just go... Because why? Because you're wearing armor all, Jesus armor all sprayed all over you. Amen. All right, let's stand together this morning.